Wolverine. Wolverine. Hello and welcome to the Examination Podcast, where we examine the hottest Marvel comics featuring the characters that we love most. We have an all-new show planned for you today as we discuss Powers of Ten, number five, written by Jonathan Hickman and featuring the art of R.B. Silva. I'm your host, Quentin Immler, and joining me today, as always, are Dane Rainier. Hey, guys. And Kelsey Strutz. Hello. Um, pretty excited this week to talk to you guys, but uh, first, let's look up to Cerebro and check out what's new in the world of Marvel. And and right now, it's kind of a time to look back at the journey of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because Bob Iger just released a, a book uh, that talks about his story so far and, and the road he went down and... and a large part of his legacy and what's made him so successful was that acquisition of Marvel um, that he did right after Iron Man 1. And he bought Disney, or not Disney, but Marvel for $4 billion. What do you guys think? Good investment or no? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that's a pretty solid investment. Yeah. I... Let's, let's go down memory lane. Let's go like right after Iron Man 1 comes out. Let's backtrack to then. And what does Marvel look like at that point? Um, Marvel, Marvel at that point. I mean, I remember, I remember the '90s being a almost dark time as far as sales were concerned, and even you know the early 2000s. I mean, it it wasn't talked about like it was this budding business. Um, You'd had you know Marvel had gone through this. I want I don't want to call it a fire sale because I don't I don't know the numbers because they may not have sold them for cheese, but they were selling off the rights to. Yeah, kind of got them in the mess we're in today. When I say mess, I mean the situation. Uh huh. Spider Man and Sony. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, uh, Fox had X Men, Fantastic Four. Sony had Spider Man. Uh, I think um, Universal had the Hulk. Hulk. Daredevil. Yeah, I mean it, it, they. They sent their stuff all just over to survive, the place to, to make. Mm-hmm. So the this, as far as being a big turning point for them as a company itself, I mean, not even just the storylines, etc., but as a company was just huge. Iron Man itself was. Huge. Yeah, I think. I mean, their big sale, the fire sale stuff, was more like early '90s, as far as like movie rights things i think yeah and it so it was iron man one comes out in 2008 and that was that's just a a good movie and it was in a lot of ways i think maybe one of the the first that was just a quality film of you know of good character growth it of was, it was a tone set yeah and it, i mean it was i mean that movie sets the tone for their universe the the lighter compared to what was you know dc stuff was this dark or grim kind of ser- very serious. They didn't, you know, they weren't willing to joke around as much as the Marvel stuff was willing to. Ironic for a film franchise whose main bad guy is the Joker, but exactly. you're right that like that, that was a very tone setting moment in a lot of ways. It was kind of an oddly fitting redemption story for Robert Downey Jr. It was extremely and that that was just it was it was a good movie like it stands out as a good film that you didn't have to be a comic book fan to enjoy I have a sidebar here for for Robert Downey Jr. uh 
is it is this the rumor that he was an uninsurable actor for this movie and i i want to say mel gibson was willing to put up the money to back him for this movie that sounds right and I may be wrong. It may be Mel Gibson, maybe Tom Cruise. I'm not 100 sure. But Tom Cruise was, was the one they were going to cast if they didn't get him. I, I think maybe. But but Robert Downey Jr. I mean, talk about a resurrection. So a resurrection for the company Marvel and the actor Robert Downey Jr. in in one fell swoop. And Iron Man really does act as that perfect metaphor of like being down in the dirt, getting back up. And that's basically what Marvel did. But it's funny to think and- that. The only two film franchises were the X-Men and Spider-Man that seemed to have any leverage and nobody wanted these characters. That's why that's why they had them, because nobody wanted them. Well, in substance abuse for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it was pretty I mean though yeah, you were right, because even the X-Men they've made and and remade and the you know, Fantastic Four have gone through a couple of incarnations since then. And Spider-Man's obviously been relaunched a time or two and everything. And you're right. Is it those three, other characters? Three. Even relaunched three times. Just have, right. That those characters, the Avengers, were just sitting there unused for decades. Like pennies on the dollar today, you know. Like just yeah. wasted wasted leverage. It's hard to think of this a world in which Iron Man was like what you were stuck with. Like whereas right now, I mean, I bet they'd kill to be able to have – Robert Downey Jr. be 10 years younger and pay him a hundred million dollars just to show up. <laughs> yeah. So I, Iger buys this goes from this $4 billion, somewhat risky purchase. I will say the comics, like that was a year that civil war and annihilation came out like back then. So like, and they were on their way to secret invasion. And so things were looking pretty good at Marvel overall at that time, but from, from, a, from a comic book standpoint, yeah. but even then, your comic books are not going to outpace the movie brand. Yeah. Well, they, they get not. purchased for $4 billion, the company yeah. wholesale. Um, Iger buys them. And then his first movie that they kind of make together, or at least that Iger, after purchasing the company, it's kind of funny anecdote he has in his book where he shows Iron Man 2 to Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs just tells him, man, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think going through what's going through Iger's mind after this four billion dollar investment and Steve Jobs goes, Yeah, that really sucked. I'll tell you, I don't well, like I don't like Steve Jobs a ton, but that's a pretty good assessment of Iron Man too. Hey, you know what? That's a great assessment up until the point of what did Iron Man 2 bring in financially? Oh, I don't know yeah. what it brings to them. I, I mean as a movie, it's easily in the bottom barrel of the MCU, yeah, but, but the I, it may have been financially successful. I, I know it was financially bad. successful. Iron Man 2 is bad from, from your opinion of watching a movie. I'm still going to take it over quite a few other movies. And that's fair. It's definitely I mean, fair. The bottom of the barrel for the Marvel movies still ranks as probably about a 7 on a 10 point scale when compared to a lot of other superhero oriented movies out there. Yeah. I think of like Wachowski movies since the Matrix has come out and like rivals like Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, I'm oh, going to watch Wait, Iron Man you're... 2 over Amazing Spider-Man any day of the week. You're going to insult the Speed Racer movie? <laughs> That's true. That's a fantastic. I, I'll film. say just, wow. just looking at the Wikipedia. Hurst's best. Just looking at the Wikipedia real quick. Iron Man 2's budget was 170 to 200 million. 
and it boxed off as six hundred and twenty-four million. Exactly. So it it did its job. You can take that to the bank. Um, well, another piece well, of. Go ahead, Kelsey. Thor, Thor: Dark World. Not not the best of movies. Guess what? Financially successful movie. Still better than uh, quite a few other superhero movies that I would put up against it from other companies. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. There's also a Forbes article that came out where they talked about what's the most important film in the MCU. What do you guys think? Got any well, thoughts? What, what's the most important film? They they said it was um, Captain America 2 Winter Soldier. And while it is... Well, they said the only films in the conversation were Winter Soldier for one reason and Avengers for the other. Avengers is still my top one. It brought it together. It managed a large cast. It showed that you could put all of these movies together and have a coherent storyline stemming from one or more movies and brought together in another movie and still work. Winter Soldier is just great because it's a great standalone film. You you don't have to worry about knowing anything else. You just say, okay, here's this guy. He's Captain America. And this is what he's fighting. A, a you know, a hidden faction within the government, et cetera, et cetera. It, it hits along those, you know, Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy-esque storylines, but you got superheroes in it. Avengers still is important for the MCU, I think is still top dog. Well, I think what they were speaking to was th- this idea, like Bob Iger, like the return on investment, the the fact that like Avengers was a culmination of the movies before it, which are pretty good. But I think th- what they're saying was, is that Winter Soldier opened the door for them to successfully change genres and let them breathe more as opposed to just having straight superhero flicks. It kind of opened the door for like a family movie, a political thriller, okay, well, uh, like scary movie. Saying- like you're saying, you could because of Winter Soldier, you could have Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Don't don't, don't put I, it on me, Ricky. I um, <laughs> I can agree with that and the idea that it did open it up. Mm, but man, that first Avengers is still a goosebump-inducing film for for those who, who waited so long to see this type of thing happen. It's still. You can watch it at home, even after seeing it five times, and go, "Yeah, I still get goosebumps in certain parts of this." I I agree that there's lined up together. I would say I agree. There's only two films that can be considered, but I think it's Iron Man one and Avengers the original. I think, like we talked about earlier, for all the other reasons, Iron Man one sets the tone so well for what Marvel is going to be. And as far as I'm concerned, the first Avengers film is the birth of the MCU. Like that was, that was a showing of like, we can put all of this together successfully. We can run these solo movies that intertwine. We can balance a large cast of characters that have their own stories and movies and make it work. And, you know, they, they work together well, but they also still clash in the ways of their personalities clash. Everyone can get their screen time and that this, this can continue. We can continue to do this through all these phases. And what Kelsey said is absolutely right. I saw that just because of what it was, what it represented in a lot of ways of like, you know, we were nerds getting to see these blockbuster films that were ours. And it was, it wasn't just one film. It was 
what the future was going to be for films. Yeah, it showed well, that it I mean, out. let's just be clear. Scorpion King and Mummy 2 did the shared universe first. Thank just, you just for that. So, just so we don't rush in, give Marvel credit. Kevin Feige didn't have anything to do with that. I mean, Festival Scorpion King does show that no matter how much you practice blocking an arrow, the rock will still kill you with an arrow. That launched the That's rock. True. That was the rock's first film, Scorpion King. It was. Well, yeah. his first full standalone Scorpion King. Mummy 2, the Scorpion King, was his first one. I mean, he was in it. He was like the worst piece of CGI I can imagine. You yeah. are correct. It's iconically bad. Uh, um, bar, Iger did a lot of great stuff for Marvel. Gave us a lot of the movies we have today. And uh, I I appreciate what he did. That said, uh, I'm interested to see where Marvel goes from here. Um, and, and you know what? They can mess it up. And I, I got my wish fulfillment already. So like whatever they do is just better. Well, I, they can't really ruin it for me at this point. I, I mean, if you're if you're looking at prior, you know, if, if you're if you're watching what they have done to, to base off what they will do, it's still going to be good. I mean, I, I yet to be truly let down. But yeah, even if even if it all just went belly up today, we got over a decade of kick ass comics movies like that's like, 20 plus Kevin Feige, best producer. Hmm? I Question mean, mark? if it, it I mean, comes down to dollars and cents, and I don't see how you can argue. I don't even think so. There's a question mark. Best producer all time. Right now. Uh, he is the Michael Jordan. There's no arguing that. Yeah. Um, let's let's shift over to our other segment under Cerebro Umbrella. Uh, this week's question from the listeners is, who is your five-man X-Men roster? You got a comic. You get to write it. Who's the five people you put on there first? Dang, well, you hit this first because I'm still thinking about it. No, that's fine. I, it's kind of unfair because I have had one planned out already. It's Nightcrawler uh, five times over. Yes, it's just Nightcrawler over. Well, it is another television. You mean Cardinal, Cardinal, Cardinal? Don't do well, this. Well, if you want to be They good, are clones. Yeah. It's there. I'll quit. You want to be a good team. I'll quit this podcast. It's four Cardinals and a Death Seed farmer. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, so a while back, I don't think. I don't know if you know this, Kelsey. A while back, Quentin posed sort of like just a fun challenge of sorts about like creating a five-man superhero team. And I'm going to no, run Quentin, with mine. because Quentin doesn't like me, so he doesn't, cause he doesn't I, include me. Because I loved it so much. So my team was Magneto, Emma Frost, Nightcrawler, Pixie, and Phantom X. So uh, it should- broken, broken, nostalgia. Broken? I have Pixie and Nightcrawler. I have one decent yeah, teleport and one terrible one. Okay. But no, so it obviously it shouldn't come as any surprise. Anybody knows Mirror's list and that night that Nightcrawler's on the team. I really like Magneto. I think he's not only the best villain the X-Men have had, but just such a deep character. Emma is very intriguing and I think has a ton of storylines that you can work with her on. And it kind of lends to her, her Magneto and Phantom X have a sort of like not really good guy vibe potentially going on so there's some stuff that can go on there i think pixie is criminally underutilized i think she's a incredibly interesting character she's probably my favorite of that new x-men cast and especially what she goes through in the quest for magic and the the losing of her soul and the attempt to get it back and she's just interesting because her core power really has like nothing to do you know her like pixie dust thing almost never gets used it's the the teleportation magic that she gets from losing her soul it's the the soul dagger so i just think there's a lot uh, of i don't know i really like that team i think there's a lot of 
a lot to work with. And maybe I'll post a link to that um, <laughs> Google Doc that has everything I wrote about that on it. Because I took that way too seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you go, Quentin. Well, I, with mine, I thought like richness of story. Like I, I wanted to go with like who would be the most like interesting in, in a room together that shouldn't work, but they have to because it's what they need to do. So I got like my leader is my Phoenix Jean Grey. And I, I want her to be Phoenix. I want that to be a problem. I want that to be like a time bomb waiting on them. Um, so I, I go Phoenix. I go Namor. And I really like Namor, Sunfire, and Magic on the same team. Because I think there's a lot of potential, like, butting of heads there that could be really fun. Yeah, it's Namor. He's going to butt heads with everyone. Oh. Yeah, but Sunfire also, like, just huge jerk, like, has his own idea of how things should go. Um, and I, I've always found Sunfire, ever since they did the Age of Apocalypse, like, design of him, I just thought he looked so cool. Um Magic, I think, is the most criminally underused Marvel character, period. Like, such a rich story. And then um, Colossus, I think, kind of gives you that level-headed person that um, just raw willpower and and the person who, like, keeps everything kind of grounded. I I do like that I I find Pixie to be criminally underrated, and she's basically, the most interesting things about her are just basically piggybacking off of Magic. Yeah. Well, she's a younger version. Right. Well, but I guess they're both young. Yeah, that's the thing is I think you forget how young Magic is. Yeah. Well, you know, the X-Men have only been around 10 years, so. Oh, my God, don't. The future is now, old man. (laughs) Here's my team, and and I've just now come to that. I've just now come to this team as a um, thought in my head. I've been thinking about it quite a bit but it's been kind of hard because i didn't want to use the same people that you kind of think of so i want juggernaut on the team it only Mm. because i really like the juggernaut he's been on the x-men before but i like him strong um he's not a moron uh number two uh let's put in storm storm great leadership potential you know, high level power. Uh, if you're gonna get Storm, you gotta get Toad. No, no, I don't because I'm not gonna. Um, Got Kitty Pride. Mm. Kitty Pride. Shadow Cat, uh-huh. eh? And then Cannonball. Ooh, yeah. I'm using other people. You digging? Are, yeah. We got those new mutant deep cuts, Man. boy. Hold up, hold up. I'm going old school again for another one. Banshee. Boom. Man. Ooh. Yeah. I had a shit. Juggernaut, Storm, Kitty, Cannonball, and Banshee. Yeah. Gotta, I, I dig I it. I think it's enough high-powered people to offset some of the more street-level mutants, I guess, with, you know, you know, a couple leadership potential for, you know, Storm or Shadowcat. Really Banshee, too, because he's done. Cannonball, too. Cannonball's the leader of the mutants. So you got a lot of leadership on that team. A lot of yeah. chiefs. A lot of chiefs. You're right. And then the juggernaut. Who's going <laughs> It might take five leaders to get him to do something exactly. we want. <laughs> well, always interesting to think about those dream teams, who you'd put together and why. Um if you have any questions that you'd like answered or any ideas for the guys to talk about, uh, you can always email us uh, q.examination at gmail.com. 
now we're going to move on to our next segment before we get into the story. In times of danger and confusion, Uatu the Watcher appears to warn us of oncoming threats. In this segment, we ask our local watcher to scour Marvel history and reveal the origins of a new or confusing character, location, or thing brought up in this week's story. This week, the watcher is going to help us build our Babel Tower and learn all that we need to know to ascend in the Phalanx. Okay, so I uh, did some research into the Phalanx as they are written in uh, Marvel Comics. Um, And really, the way they have been portrayed in the recent arc is not completely different, but definitely different from how they were originally in the comics and the TV show in the nineties. Um, and they are still a, um, they were created by Scott Liddell and Joe Madeira and, uh, Chris Claremont and Bill Senkowitz were, uh, the creators of the technarchy, which is pretty important for the, way just understanding their origins yes, the, the their way that the phalanx kind of exist in the marvel universe uh they do show up in their full form in uncanny x-men 312 in may of 1994 and they are an organic they're a form of organic life form that are affected with the techno organic virus um and that is the big part of the technarchy the whole point of that is to send out a signal to the technarchy and which the technarchy then comes to their planet and then consumes them. So I believe it, you're mispronouncing yeah, which is that. like warlock species. Yes, they I believe cre- you're mispronouncing it. Isn't it Turknerky? Turk. Oh, Billy's a Turknerky. Um, anyways, uh, and they've gone through several phases in previous installments kind of where they fought different teams, uh, professor or, or uh, the X-Men Excalibur, etc., and including uh, cable and those individuals. Uh, but they really don't hit the new stride until just recently. Um, and just in the recent series that we've been reading has been having the, uh, having the phalanx actually not necessarily destroy whatever they come into contact with, but also absorb it into them. Yeah. So I think you're skipping. Like if you go back, if, if you like guardians of the galaxy at all, their first appearance was in annihilation conquest, which oh, phalanx it's, it's, is the main it's, bad it's guy. there. that point. Yeah. In the conquest series. Yes. Because they kind of take over from where annihilus left off. Yeah, so the Phalanx actually um, bond with Ultron in that storyline. It's really cool. They take over the entire Kree Empire. And so all the, the stuff they did in Annihilation basically gets wiped. Ultron takes over. And the Guardians of the Galaxy, as you know them, the iteration that has Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Star-Lord, Gamora, all those guys, you don't have them without the Phalanx. And so they kind of came together to fight that threat because all these technological superpowers weren't strong enough. So you needed this gritty team um, to go in and take them out. As well as Quasar, Moondragon, Adam Warlock. Yeah. And my boy Nova. Yep. I mean, I think maybe most importantly, we're missing that they were the uh, the primary villain of the 1995 Sega Classic X-Men 2 Clone Wars. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Oh, no, perhaps. They certainly were. 
Yeah. So Phalanx is really cool. Um, they definitely have a connection with Warlock. I, I personally recommend uh, Annihilation Conquest if you want to get to see more. And I think it's pretty accessible because they, they unite with Ultron in that storyline. So it makes it a little more relatable if you've never read anything with them in it. Um, you know, much like the Phalanx needing to ascend, we're going to ascend today by going to Gray Malkin Lane and recapping this week's issue, Powers of Ten, number five. All right, as always, spoilers ahead. We open up, as we do in our Powers story, on the X-Zero storyline, year one of the X-Men. Xavier's discussing the origins of kind of modifying Cerebro to accommodate this downloading of Mutant Brain's plan with X-Men Forge. Forge indicates it could be done, but it would require some extra help, and Xavier uh, reminds him that he has access to the Shi'ar technology that could make this possible. Again, uh, we move forward to X1 storyline. Now we have Xavier and Magneto calling Emma to the Louvre in France to discuss her possible involvement with the Krakoa nation. She's hesitant at this plan. She thinks it's a bad one. It doesn't make any sense. But after being shown the actual island of Krakoa, she's convinced. And part of coming on board is the stipulation that she brings the Hellfire Club and its resources uh, into the fold of Krakoa. But she's told there's kind of one caveat, and that's that she has to bring Sebastian Shaw back into the Hellfire Club, who Emma has just gotten done removing from the Hellfire Club. And she negotiates back, though, requesting three seats on this newly mentioned Mutant Council of 12 to rule Krakoa instead of the original two that she's been offered. Then we see Xavier sending out the call to recruit all the mutants to Krakoa, including a glimpse of of him sharing the message with Namor. And we get a page just kind of out of nowhere of Namor being Namor, rejecting the offer uh, from the you know his seat on the throne with a, a certain amount of cockiness that only Namor can show in comics. And then we move forward to the X3 storyline, again, skipping X2. And we see this alien race and the phalanx, and the phalanx have consumed the elder that they've just attempted to make a deal with as a part of their negotiation terms. And then the little floaty Nimrod robot explains to the librarian his theory <laughs> that the black holes are all an interconnected galactic superintelligence and that apparently the phalanx's job is really tough and makes them really hungry and that the only way they can survive is to devour these planets and the societies on them in order to sustain themselves. And that's the... I, I don't know. It looks like the end of that X3 storyline. I don't know where it's going to go from here for one more. But uh, our memos include how Cerebro operates and where the backup mutant brains are stored. Uh, certain members of the Council of Krakoa are revealed to us. And we get another memo on additional galactic superintelligence yep. that scales beyond a phalanx. Dick nerd. There's more. It's not just phalanx and techniques. <laughs> All right. So jump, jumping right into stuff this week, guys. Um, this is a world building issue. This is kind of a recap issue. Yeah. There's not that much forward progress to talk about, but we can break it down um, unless you guys have a different take on the issue. No, I think maybe more than all the rest of them it shows this, but honestly, I think everything from Powers has been a world building like, cause some of it's just, some of it's just so far distant and some of it's just so 
far past that it, it doesn't really have an effect. It's more of just reveals and this setup for the new X-Men moving forward. Oh, I remember the three-headed Sentinel fighting Rasputin. Where, I remember the days when this guy? was the action pack. Where's that guy? I, I, remember, I remember Cardinal standing around while the real heroes did stuff. This is... Cardinal. He, he had a death this is going to get old season. someday. I don't know when it's coming, yeah. but it's happening. Um, so we get this initial confrontation, or not confrontation, but conversation between Professor X and um, Forge. And did you guys like examine Professor X's? It's hard to know if it's a the way he's drawing them, um, RB or whatever in this one. But like Professor X looks sinister to me. Does anybody else get that vibe? It, not sinister the character, but sinister the adjective. It was the first note I wrote down while reading this comic. Is why does Xavier look so menacing? And it's. I think the art they've been doing that the whole yeah, and and the art has been so good through all of this. I can't I cannot imagine or accept the answer that it's an accident. I think it is meant because we don't get to see Xavier's face with the cerebro on. So I think there has to be a very clear decision that's being made to show him looking like this when we do have the opportunity of seeing his face. So I don't think yeah. I don't think that's by accident that he looks very menacing and plotting. Yeah. So Cerebro, um, big big touchstone of this. They're they're trying to upgrade Cerebro, and Forge seems to be willing to do it. Uh, and it's it's implied that he does work with Professor X, but Professor X views Forge very much as a a resource to achieve this goal. And it doesn't feel like a conversation as much as like a business proposal and you either take it or walk away and I'm going to move on and not think twice about it. He sees him as a forge, a place to create. Yeah, Um, which is alarming. I think the dialogue for this conversation and the later conversation with Emma is really, really, really good. Um, I, I think the dialogue, in fact, in all the comics has felt good. In the moments where I've gotten conversations between X Men that I know it's always felt, you know, the way the characters should feel. And it's, you know, at least clever dialogue that it keeps me, um, it keeps me in it and, and wanting to read more, which is kind of like a snapshot of, I think all of these comics in a way is that they're really well done comics. The writing is good. The art is exquisite. Yeah. I, I just don't know if I like where it's going. It scares me a little bit. Yeah. I, I think my problem isn't where we're going. It's when are we going to get there? How many dollars is it taking me yeah. to get there? Yeah, like like this is an expensive. Like you're buying an issue weekly for a whole month, and really, how far are we from House of X number one? Like how like we've gotten some reveals, but like this slow burn. It's like I I don't know. That's a that's the thing with comics, and it's it's had its exciting moments. So I don't want to let this one issue in its slower pace make a judgment on the whole. Um, storyline we've had so far. So they they rebuild Cerebro. We get some upgrades, and we get this memo, this world building about uh, backups of characters. You guys think that uh, he goes into a lot of detail. It's going to come up when he's choosing the back people up, which backups he's choosing to use, um, and do you think that explains kind of this grab them style of X-Men we have right now? Out of time? I think the, the- the big key with that one is the little memo where they bring up 
putting other people's brains and experiences basically into a different husk. I think that may eventually become something. Maybe not in this X series, but very possibly within the year, something coming up. That that the idea of Xavier has access to all these imprints, these memories, etc., and specifically bringing up the fact of they don't know exactly what happens when you put one of those thoughts, brains, whatever, into an unoriginal body, not what it's supposed to be in, basically what what that can cause. Um, and it may be as simple as Professor yeah. X's body is not his own, and they've put his brain. I think in there, we're, that, that feels like the main theory think, right now, right? Yeah, I think we're going to find out Xavier's already done it. They've gone out of their way to tell us Xavier has – because one of the little lines that memo is that he's already been tinkering with it. He's willing to experiment with this, that he's up – you know, he's basically re-updated from a legacy brain choosing to, like, start from a different point. And there's this is the second issue in a row where they've been willing to tell us, oh, you can put it into someone's head into another body, but it would probably have some effects and it might be bad, you know, that it might – make somebody like Xavier who's supposed to be looked at as like a constant good guy into, you know, sort of a, in some ways a tyrant here. So I think we're going to find out that if it's not Xavier in that body or if it's not Xavier's body or whatever it is that, you know, maybe it's, maybe he's tried downloading multiple people into one body. And that's part of what this is. We're dealing with a amalgamation of, of people of mutant brains yeah. And uh the Moira that we know has been through a lot. Been pretty uh been through a lot of stuff and I almost wonder um they talked about how Proteus uses a Professor X husk when they resurrect him and stuff. True. And it's like what what if uh Moira's one of the Professor X husks? We'll have to see. And maybe she as soon as she got the body used her powers to kill the other Professor X and like assume Professor X's identity. I, I don't know. I, I this sinister Professor X has me worried. Um, so moving right along, we get into the point where uh, Emma Frost, who last we checked is head of the Hellfire Club, um, and we kind of get a touch on where Emma's at right now in the, the comics. She's the leader of the Hellfire Club. Um, we get Professor X, we get Magneto, they approach her. But is this, correct me if I'm wrong, is this what Emma looks like in the newer comics? Does anybody know? Would you, I thought she had like a shaved head or something. I have not. I oh, have not that I know the newer comics. So no, she. I've just read the one not too long ago where she ousts Sebastian Shaw, and she looks like Emma does currently. Oh, pretty classic. Yeah. Okay, I thought she like injected something into her head to make her power stronger or something. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. It just makes me laugh to hear that because it's such an absurd statement. But it's like, yeah, if if I weren't reading, I could believe that'd be something they'd do. Yeah. Well, either way, we get a more classic Emma Frost. Uh, maybe that's because that's where she's at. But it was kind of nice to get a touch of like recent comic events being reflected in this House of X timeline. Yeah, it's almost like it, it, I know it's, you know, everything's fake events it's comics, but it's almost like they grounded this big grandiose story in something that's a little more real or at least some kind of a touchstone. I, I There was two interesting touches to it. Number one, I thought it was very interesting that the meeting happens around the statue in the Louvre of uh, the goddess Nike, which is the goddess of victory, mm-hmm. which is 
kind of a cool, you know, in this discussion of this grand plan of setting up, you know, this foreign mutant nation, it was kind of a neat touch on that, that they were literally meeting around a statue of the goddess of victory. The other thing, yeah. again, I don't know if it's costuming choice and purpose or what, but it's interesting to me, looking at this menacing Xavier, that we have Magneto in white, we have Emma in white, and we always see Xavier in black. Either it's the bodysuit when he's you know on Krakoa or with the mutants, or he's in a suit, but it's a black suit, black shirt, black vest sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's just the choice it was made, but it's it's a very simple thing. But it's it's a stark contrast that he's the one wearing, you know, kind of the traditional bad guy color True. that they've kind of reserved for him. Is he the black hat? Right. Especially when you juxtapose it with I know it was an old Magneto costume and Emma, you know, traditionally wears white, but that the two of them are both in an almost all white costume and that both of them have shown points throughout this plan and throughout the whole creation of Krakoa where they've had their concerns they've voiced you know issues obviously they've bought in but they've both at times said you know had concerns with this and what Xavier's doing yeah and rightfully so I will say interestingly like Magneto's helmet is like a weird white black like when you look at it, it like it looks like a black with like white reflective like marks on it. So I don't know. It's, it's almost, it's definitely interesting. Um, and, and all the costume choices I think are very provocative and it's like, is it just there as a bunch of red herrings or is it purposeful? Um, and we won't know for the time displaced. Like what's that? We, uh, and we probably won't know this for at least a year. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, Hickman does a long con, man, but he usually has a beginning, middle, and end with, with his stories, which I can appreciate. Um, so I, I look forward to getting there. The, um, the other thing that I... Were you oh, saying? yeah, just to say, the other thing I think is worth talking about, looking at these X0, X1 storylines, I still don't know when this is happening. The whole point True. of Powers of 10 is supposed to be that we're in these 10-year increments. But even when we're seeing... You know, we're seeing Xavier talking to Forge, this X-Zero, like year one of the X-Men. This is still supposed to be within a year of Xavier conceiving the X-Men? Like, that he has Forge... Well, I mean, I think it's within that decade, right? Well, no, because it says X-Zero year one. Yeah, mm. he's right. And it's it, they're trying to emphasize that there's... Uh, number one, it seems crazy that it's only 10 years from the accept, the inception of the X-Men to House of X storyline, but maybe, you know, comics are fidgety with time, but it's tough for me yeah. to look at that. Well, in some ways it makes more sense right. to retcon it this way. Yeah, to set it up now, but it, it's tough for me to look at that conversation between Xavier and Forge and say, that's within a year of our classic X-Men, like that he's gone through four iterations of Cerebro in a year since forming the original cast of five. It just... Well, again, I think I think too. Um, it harkens back to the whole Moira McTaggart thing. I mean, she's jump starting stuff, you know. And maybe that's and again, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the big reveal at the end. And, we and have again, to find out. Well, also again, where's Moira been? Completely absent, Completely and that's why I wonder absent. if the possibility if it's part of her brain has been 
jammed into. Because, oh, because here's a point. We discussed this an episode or two ago. This has to be Moira's last life, right? Well, because yeah, maybe. She, well, she, the last one was 10, and she was told by Destiny 10 or 11. And we're on so the if, you die, if you die in the... Nine. What? The last one was 9, the one where she died with Okay, yes, it's true. So this is 10, which means she, if she gets to the next one, to 11, she dies at some point when she's a child, before her power manifests. So if you know you've only got one, maybe one and a half left, why not tell your new boyfriend, hey, here's what's going to happen. Go download all the mutant brains. While you're at it, could you download mine? And then, you know, you're a pretty powerful telepath. Just shove that into your own brain, too. Well, okay. So X-Men political metaphors is going to say, um, I, I think it's a really strong argument that the 10 or 11, the unsureness seems like destiny. Can you read the future or not? I think she lived her 10th life. I think she died her 10th life. I think she is Professor X. Yeah. That's why it's 10 or 11. I think I think her why it's like a wishy-washy life is because she was one of those genetic clones. I think her mind is in Professor X, and this is her last life. Yeah, I think it depends. And there's so much that we don't know about how Moira's power works. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. Who, who knows what, what it'll be? I think that her story might get concluded with this house and powers. Cause we've talked a lot about this is set up for Don of X, but maybe Moira's story. Uh, yeah. I, is ran through in these. I'm hoping we at least get a resolution. With I that. would say given her absence since such a big reveal and that we're now in a world where you can jam brains into other people's bodies. I, I think we're going to find something out about Moira before True. the end of this. Yeah, and we still got life six out there, right? Yes, as the as the wild wild card. All right, um, we've also got this. Emma goes back to Kakoa, checks things out, um, learns a lot about uh, just what their plan is, and and that victory. Magneto seems very convinced of victory. Emma requests a seat on this council. Um, she also doesn't like that she's bringing the Black King in the fold, and she wants to throw more power to her side. And who does she pick as her third person? What do you guys think? Don't well, it depends know. how much you want to discuss that because I've kind of cheated. Um, and I don't, do you want to discuss that at all? The So if you, if you buy the comic digitally, and that was one of the ways we purchased it was digitally, you could kind of see that mystique's name is printed on one of the names. Uh, and we'll, we'll stop there with the spoilers. Okay. Uh, if you don't want to know any of the council members, like this is your chance to jump ahead probably two minutes and you'll be safe because we're going to talk about them in length because it actually got spoiled. So if you want to jump ahead two minutes, you can do that. We're going to take a quick minute or two to talk about um, who these council members are, maybe why they position them there. So Dane, why don't you go through what kind of got leaked by people who who were able to see through the black lines and, and show who the people Yeah, were. so there was a leak. You can the text is actually there behind the blackouts. The uh in order, they are Professor X, Magneto, Apocalypse, Winter is Sinister, Exodus, Mystique, Spring is Shaw, Frost, and the Red Queen, Catherine Pride, and Summer is Storm, Marvel Girl, and Nightcrawler. So it seems an interesting transition that Emma would request Kitty Pride as her third. So several, there's the winner group, which is all traditional bad guys, pretty much. And we go with Mystique, whatever. Some are all traditional good guys. 
Yeah, you kind of have, you yeah, you kind of have your core leadership team of Krakoa in autumn and like, you know, from the incoming thing. You have your bad guys in winter, your good guy traditional X-Men in summer, and then spring is kind of your Hellfire Club with an interesting choice of Kitty Pride. Yeah, I think I think spring has a balance of like so you've got Professor X traditionally a good guy, you've got Kitty Pride traditionally a good guy. You've got Emma Frost swings both ways. You got Magneto swings both ways. You got Sebastian Shaw bad guy, Apocalypse bad guy. So there really is a balance of like good guys, bad guys on this team. Yeah, it's it, it is truly representative of mutanthood in a lot of ways. Yeah, I do worry about like I don't know, like uh, this this wasn't super exciting, but your boy Nightcrawler made it on there. Do you hope him to bring the religious angle and, and keep things pure with Awful the Krakoa no, Island? I don't think the religious angle of Nightcrawler has ever been the most interesting thing, but it is a. But I think his morality can be certainly when he's at a, a table with Magneto, Apocalypse, Sinister, Exodus, his mother, Mystique, uh, you know, the Hellfire Club. That's that's a lot to balance. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and, our, and a notable missing person is Cyclops. Yep. Anybody else disappointed um, that he didn't make the also list? Also, p- put in perspective, too, how many of those individuals has Professor X brought back? So how many of them does he have direct control of how they think, the memories they have, etc.? Oh, I mean, if you want to know my opinion, I think every single mutant in this story with the exception of maybe like our exodus or somebody is resurrected i think they everybody's in the age of nate gray or whatever it is like i don't think they matter i think they're done i don't think we'll ever see them again potentially unless somebody decides to retcon everything hickman did but like for all intents and purposes i think there is no distinction between a clone grown mutant and a natural birth mutant as far as this story is going to be concerned i think everybody is from these pods but at this point everyone's just as it's the only explanation that i can come up with why you know all these deaths happened all these characters are gone but they're here and i think the way you i I imagine i see hickman going like i want to take this and you got the editor like oh i'm going to be so confusing i have to get all these people back and this person's dead he's like "No, no no it doesn't matter just give it to me. I can do it. It's already part of the story. Yeah, that would be a, uh, in some ways, a very clean way to to get things moving and restarting things. True. Yeah. Um. I, it'll be interesting. We still don't know how Wolverine gets his adamantium back, but mm-hmm. telling you, it's part of his DNA at this point. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then we move on to kind of our ascension storyline. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of struggling. Oh, I guess you guys probably don't want me to skip over the more part. I know. Uh, they, we backtrack to all these mutants coming to Krakoa and the initial message, right? In the last one, we saw kind of the exodus, like uh, Moses leading his people to Krakoa, where Apocalypse kind of like led the charge and brought all these people there. Um, we see the invite from Professor X. Uh, one of the people he reaches out to, Namor, has no interest. What do you guys think of this scene? It sounded like Namor being Namor. Yeah, like again, it was a perfect example of fantastic dialogue being written. And I can't imagine it's by accident that we're getting a page of Namor. So I, I suspect we'll see something. But we only have two more issues left, so I don't know how much time we have to see Namor. Yeah, I also think the distinction between Namor as an Atlantean and um, 
a mutant is something I would have liked to see explored more here. And I, I wanted no more to go. Cause I think he's super cool, but maybe it sets up for more stories down the road. If he isn't a part of this, it's nice to see somebody, some mutant say no, you know, that we've yeah. brought in apocalypse, Exodus, sinister, all these people are willing to swear. And maybe that's all it was. Maybe it was literally just one page to remind you there's this badass of the seas out there. That's not going to bend the knee. Well, and he's also one of the few characters that I think didn't go fight Nate Gray. Yeah. Like, like out of the ones who like are list, like every character list, like almost every mutant disappeared with that. Like good guys, bad guys, they all went and fought and like Namor absent from that. He's been in the Avengers comics. So I think it's interesting that he didn't say no. And he's, he is clearly not one potentially that's been regrown at Crow. Just a thought. Um, uh, moving forward, we've got our phalanx stuff. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? I, until, apparently, until they, it has to eat. Yeah, they, until they give the long con of it, you know, I don't think we'll know. Because my, my yeah, this, this yeah. feels like the story that has to wrap up. Well, because it doesn't. It's not. We're not going to be interested in it after the end of this, are we? If I'm trying to pair it with, you know, what's been going on, I want to say it's like okay. We're thinking about Moira McTaggart's long con. Is are, are they attempting to put Moira McTaggart or Professor X's mind inside the phalanx, and therefore you control that? Or you know, that's what I keep coming back to. But my other thought is, well, maybe this phalanx thing is just a setup for something just much further down the line that that I'm that we're not even aware of. It's like a thousand years in the I'm future. Aware. How can this affect the X-Men that I care about? Like, you know maybe I mean? the X-Men thinking of that, of well, the long con. I hate, I hate We've got like the time travel element and maybe, maybe Bastion somehow takes the phalanx back. I don't know. There, there's potential for their transfer because we do have this Bastion bridge. As alien as all the characters are, we, I miss him, our, our X2 uh, Bastion. But we do get this little Bastion floating there. Maybe he's the bridge to make this relevant. Maybe. He better be bringing a three-headed Sentinel back with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get more symbols of different societies and titans and strongholds and dominions in addition to our Technarch world mine phalanx. <laughs> Listen to that sentence. That's ever been said before. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. Strongholds. And we're left wondering not what's going to happen, but why do we care with that storyline? So I'm I'm interested. Why do I care? Can't wait to find out. Um, and that pretty much wraps up our issue. Any any last thoughts on this and where it's going? We're in the end game now, so it's time to start wrapping things up. Ooh. All right, let's go ahead and use this as a um Moment to transition and enter the danger room. Where we play Marvel 20 questions. Rules are simple. Kelsey and Dane have 20 questions to guess a Marvel character, location, or thing using only yes or no questions. Let's head on into the danger room and see if we can survive this week's challenge. 
Is it a character? No. Is it a place? No. Is it an object? No. I hate when he does this. Um... Is it a power? No. Is it a team? Yes. Is it... Is it related to the X-Men? Um... Yes. X. I'm going to say it's a... It's affiliated with the X-Men, but not... you. It's not identified as an X-Men okay. team. X-affiliated. Is it a primarily villainous team? Um, no. Is it... Gotcha. Is it question. related to a character who is primarily an X-Man? Yes. What are you thinking there, Kelsey? Oh, I'm going back to my Canadian team, Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Is the team primarily housed in Canada? No. Damn. <laughs> I had to get you off of that. Hmm. It's not villainous, correct? Correct, non-villainous. Is the team closely associated with a country of origin? No. Think of Excalibur? Yes. That's what I was thinking, too. Uh, so not tied to a country. We probably should have just asked that and knocked out that one in Alpha Flight. Yeah, well, we didn't. We could have saved. If we were pros, You're we could have really saved. You're really hoping for Alpha Flight. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been wondering if it's Excalibur every time, too. This is a Nightcrawler homage. All right, so we have a team. It's X-ish related to a specific member. Non- I really don't want you to be like X-ish is like a strong, but it is strong. It's related to a actual member of the team, though. The the X-Men. Yeah, like the X-Men are affiliated with this in a certain well, way. Well, but my follow up question was that, that they're affiliated with the specific X-Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, is this a street level team? No, that's 10 questions. Does this team feature non-mutant individuals? Yes. Hmm. I've got I've got a guess, Dane. Okay, what are you thinking? So I'm going like deep cuts here. Okay. X-Men affiliated. Good team. Non-mutant related character in the team. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Okay. Starfire and Iceman. Those are X. Right. Carlos says, has Spider-Man been on this team? No. Dang. 
I like that you have uh, good ideas, and then I just spend my turn. Shooting. Thirteen questions. You're destroying my brilliance. Um, this team is this team a youthful team? No. Uh, Dane, uh, that's me knocking out things like, um, ecstatics. Thank you. Dupe, because I know dupe has been an answer before. <laughs> dupe was the original answer, I think. The original. Um, I also... Dupe of New York. <laughs> that's a good cut. I always also try and see if he's trying to connect it to the comic in any way. No, no, just ignore his comic. But I think every team Forge has been on has like literally had an X in it. Oh, let's not put Forge on a team. Let's see. <laughs> he has a mullet. He's just he just get tied down the logistics if you put him on a He's team. A good it's, backup. it's inevitable. He could run the mullet with a headband. He always has the headband and a mustache. Please don't forget and the mustache. details. That's right. He always has a mustache. It looks like Little Richard on a team. <laughs> All right, Four, fourteen questions, guys. <laughs> Non-villainous team. Tutti frutti. Oh, rude. <laughs> I built a machine. Because that's my power. Is the team associated with some level of wealth? But yes. Ah, uh, yes. Tell you with somebody. Yeah, that wealth could be piss poor or astronomical. Right, but, not but, a, but it's an important factor in who. Like, are you what, saying a high level of wealth? Or is that the, your question? Like, or the team was shitty poor, or like very rich. So you're asking, is it on a end of the spectrum? It's not lukewarm. It's like they're either hyper rich or hyper yeah, the, poor. The, their their level of wealth is an important factor to who that team is. I uh, yes. Okay. Do they live in the sewers? Is that a, is that a question? Yeah. Yeah. Do they live in no. the No. Okay, well, it's not the Morlocks team, the poorest of teams. That's why I said street level is for them. I know exactly why you said it. <laughs> so, They're not bad guys, so it's not the Hellfire 16 club. questions. What's a rich team? The Hellfire Club? Yeah, but they're bad guys. Yeah, there are no, there are no rich, good teams. I mean, but associate with NX with an X Man. So, what what teams have other X Men been on that aren't Excalibur, Alpha Flight? Maybe it's like Warring, what Warren teams? Worthington Industries. Uh, That's not a team. That's a company. You didn't let me finish Warren Worthington's accounting team. Name. I'll, name I'll say this is Marvel. Twenty questions. I think you guys are very focused right now. It's my only head. Okay. Oh, not okay. X. I think we're. And I, well, I, there's been X Dane, on it. I don't think you're wrong to associate things with the comic. Just keep that in mind. Like I have said that in the past before. That I try to at least draw some element from the comic. But he's not saying it now. We're getting some hints. But he's not saying. All right, so you're at 17 questions. So two questions and a guess. Whose question is it now? Is it mine? Yours. Yeah. If they're super wealthy, I mean, we could think about Avengers because everyone's been on the Avengers. They have had specific X-Men. They have. Well, no, I asked if Spider-Man's been on the team. 
Mm, that's true. So Sp- kick Spider-Man out of every team. What do you got left? Um, has the team? Wait, hold on. See, I don't know. It's really just a non-Canadian, not tied to a country. There, non-mutant, non-Spider-Man. Non- has Reed Richards ever led this team? Yes. One more question and a guess. Do you want to ask if it's closely associated with a number? Is it closely associated with a number? No. The All Future right. Foundation. Because uh, Beast has been on it. I think Spider-Man's been on Future Foundation. Son of a... You got to guess. How many, right. how many teams has Reed Richards led? Um, I don't know, but Google's going to tell me. That's dirty. It is, but... Admitting your crimes in public. I hope you're happy. All right, non-villainous. All right, so... Reed was on the Illuminati team, right? Oh, there you go. That would tie to Namor. Yep, that's it. Nope, that's it. You want to go with Illuminati? Yes. All right, fine. Because Professor X is on it. So the X-Man. Let's lock it in. We're going to go Illuminati. Yeah, Illuminati. Um... So, Beast, Professor X, Namor have all been members of the Illuminati. You did get it correct on your final guess. Okay. Nice. Well done. Well done, guys. Reed got us there in the end. Yeah. That, like, isn't it funny when you go off in the wrong direction, but that ends up being the hint that got you? Yeah. I knew we just had, I didn't think you would, you would just go Fantastic Four. That seemed a little too generic. But man, we had just the right number of questions left. And I think Namor, um, you know, he's probably most associated team. He's got the invaders. He's been all over the Marvel Universe, the but Defenders? I thought the Illuminati would be a good way to tie in Hickman as well yeah. because yeah. he did a lot of work with them in his new Avengers. I, I like that when you were answering the question, you're like, yeah, they are pretty rich. Like, I, <laughs> I can see your brain thinking about that question. That's a pretty specific question, but there's a lot of money there. Yeah. So that just about wraps it up for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, we really enjoy interacting with our community. And it's really important that uh, you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it really excited about next week. We'll be looking at powers of 10 number, or I'm sorry, house of X number six, final issue of house of X. I couldn't be more excited. Any last thoughts guys before we exit for the week? I'm looking forward to wrapping up a good X-Men story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk next week about what our plan is post uh, House and Power next week. So be listening for that. Until next time, that's it. Thanks for examining with us. Hello, fellow Danger Room survivors. This is Dane thanking you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to invite you to join the examination community by checking us out at our website and Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and get your suggestions for questions of the week and Marvel 20 questions. You can find us at examination.blogspot.com and on Twitter at examination. That's E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N.blogspot.com and at examination spelled the same way. While you're at it, help us grow the community by giving us an Omega Level review wherever you listen to the podcast. See you next week.